Hello everybody, Matt Hartman here with another episode of the Race Nerd Podcast here on CKCC Radio. Thank you for joining me in the mobile studio. Uh, I apologize for any of the noise. It is pothole season up here in the state of Maine, but I think it's pothole season everywhere in the country right now. Um, so, uh, just, I apologize for any road noise you hear. I do this show when I'm in the mobile studio hands-free, so obviously you, you hear everything, you don't just hear me. Uh, there is also, um, I'm also doing the show without notes, so, which is, also falls under the hands-free category, so I don't have my notes with me, so any discrepancies, I apologize ahead of time. Uh, this is all from the old memory bank. Uh, so, this week, we're going to talk about Circuit of the Americas. We're going to talk about what had me excited, what had me pissed off, and uh, what had me just kind of a little bit of both. A little bit of both. I will say there was something that had me a little bit of both angry and happy at the same time, like, something was cool, and I didn't like it, but it ended up cool. Uh, so we'll talk about that. We'll talk about, um, the Hendrick penalties and their appeal, how that process went. Uh, we'll talk about any other penalties that came down, um, after Circuit of the Americas. We will also talk about, um, Kevin Harvick and, um... Kenny Wallace and what they're doing and later on in the season and we'll also bring back Pop Quiznos. Yes, Pop Quiznos returns this week and how about we, without any further ado, we just bring it right back right now. Um, and the first Pop Quiznos of 2023, we are going back 28 years to when Chad Little won the season opening bush race at Daytona. And this Super Bowl winning quarterback was co-owner of Chad's car that year. Got to see him in victory lane and just missed the Bush Series title. Can you name that Super Bowl winning NFL quarterback? The answer is at the end of the show. Uh, I don't know if I've done that one before, but I, I think it's a fun question. Really get your thinking hats going. But uh, one thing you didn't need a thinking hat for is Circuit of the Americas, which I swear, as I'm recording this, on a Thursday morning, feels like it just ended just yesterday. I, I can't believe how long it took to end this race. And this wasn't like a rain-delayed race or a rain-postponed race. This was just a race that seemed to drag. And it was the third race of the weekend. So, um... I want to really dive into that, but I want to dive into the truck and Xfinity racing that happened the day before at Circuit of the Americas. We had the XL, 
Xtel X something um, 225, uh, which was the truck race which kicked off, and um, we see Zane Smith pick up his second win of the season, and um, he beat out Kyle Busch. Now Kyle, who is running uh, his own truck for KBM in one of his few truck series starts this year, he's got that maximum of five starts. Uh, he certainly made it worth it, but was not able to beat Zane Smith for the um, for the win. And I, I will say that uh, Zane, man, I, I'm I'm not a fan of burnouts. I you know I thought they were cool before. Obviously, you know they're they're played out. You know everybody does a burnout when they win, smokes the tires, all that jazz. Um, you know, I, I think it's they're just kind of lame at this point. But I, I if there were points given for burnouts, um, Zane Smith would be at the top of the leaderboard because his burnout post race after beating Kyle Busch and winning the XL two twenty five is. He really pulled the Seth Rollins and burned it down. Um, and uh, that was certainly something because he smoked the tires so bad they caught fire and singed the sides of his truck. Um, really cool. Uh, really cool visual. Really, really cool visual. Uh, props to Zane Smith. This is his second win of the season. And actually second win in the three truck races at uh, Circuit of the Americas that Front Row Motorsports has won. Um, not, that's not too shabby. Uh, they won the inaugural event with Todd Gelland, uh, then um, picked up the, with the win. And I think that... Um, I, I think we're... On the truck side, you know, we've seen some really cool stuff out of Front Row, and it, it's starting to um, it's starting to move over onto their cup effort now. Their cup effort hasn't been too shabby, you know. They do have three wins in the Cup Series, um, but I think now that this team this team has become great, a great story in my eyes because they were one of those starting part teams many many years ago, one of those really underfunded teams. And what they're being able to do competing uh, on the truck side with um, Tricon Motorsports um, and, um, and many other teams, you know, I, I don't believe that they're running with the budget of Thor Sport or KBM or anything like that. Um, and they're, they're just a single truck effort in that they are really competing and really showing a lot of promise, so I'm I'm super excited for that, super stoked, and um, I, I'm really glad that they're being successful. Um, so props to Zane Smith, the, the driver who I really wasn't keen on, and I noticed <laughs> that a lot of drivers that end up changing my opinions happen to be from the, um, the Las Vegas area. I don't know what it is in the water out there. Uh, but there's been drivers which I haven't been too keen on. Um, you know, the Bush brothers, Noah Gregson, you know, Zane Smith. These are these are guys who I was not very keen on uh, early in their careers, and to the point where I disliked. Um, 
them, but seeing how, you know, seeing their talent is just, you, you can't deny it, you can't really, um, you know, get on their case, you know, you can't hate them, and just their personalities, I think it's, like I said, I think it's something with Vegas, Vegas is very showy and fun, and, um, that's what these guys are, so props to Zane Smith on the win, and, um, whatnot, so, I, like I said, I, I, I was all in on that, um, not to be outdone, we had the Xfinity race, which we did see some interlopers in, um, Casparella was doing double duty, um, John Hunter Nemechek, I believe, was doing double duty, if I remember right, uh, a lot of guys were doing double duty this weekend, I mean, Kyle Busch running the trucks and the cup race, um, same with AJ Allmendinger, um, but, uh, you know, it was, it was a lot of, um, there was a, a lot going on there, and I thought that while the truck race is fun, and fun, exciting thing, that this one would kind of be a sleeper, and what it was, I'm not going, I'm not going to deny it was a fun race, but in the end, we all knew who was going to win, and that was A.J. Allmendinger, the king of the road courses on the Xfinity Series, as he uh, continues his record book um Continues filling that record book up with um, win after win after win on the um, road courses in the Xfinity Series. I believe this is what his 11th, 12th, something like that. Um, but no matter where a road course in the Xfinity Series, you know to look for um, the dinger. And uh, this is really good. It's really good, uh, especially if you. If you, like me, followed A.J. Allmendinger uh, from his Champ Car roots, where he was running um, Champ Car in its, in its dying days, you know, then moving over to NASCAR, and, well, you know, he got he got screwed out of um, the Red Bull ride for Scott Speed, who, while Scott is a champion in Rallycross, uh, he really didn't do much in... Um, in NASCAR, I think he actually did less than what we saw, obviously less than what we later see with Digger, but I think he was marginal at best, I mean, you know, Digger didn't get a, a fair shake there, he ended up with uh, Penske Racing, and well, we know how that went, you know, only lasting half a season, and eventually the car that would, uh, go to Joey Logano in the 22, um, but, you know, he's rebounded quite nice in his career, and he's a great personality, uh, he does remind me of a cross between John Andretti, with, um, just the talent that he could drive anywhere, and, uh, whatnot, and the personality-wise of a, uh, of a uh, Kenny Wallace, very, 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 um, I don't want to say happy-go-lucky, but a, a, a certainly a, a fun personality to have around. In his career, he's gone through so many highs and lows of NASCAR. Uh, just to see him have the success, even if it is just in the uh, Xfinity series. I mean, that's great. I mean, let's not forget he also has two cup wins, and one of those coming at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway on the 
on the road course, but winning at Indy in anything is certainly not something to turn your nose up at. But uh, this was the AJ Allmendinger show, which I kind of predicted would be. Um, so that was Saturday. Sunday, we would have the Echo Park Automotive Grand Prix. The third annual Echo Park Automotive Grand Prix. And this is the one that I think a lot of people had their eyes on. I'm sure a lot of people worldwide had their eyes on as this had some um, massive road course ringers in there, some heavy hitters, um, including two Formula One champions with Kimi Raikkonen and Jensen Button, um, two names known the worldwide in automotive racing, along with Jordan Taylor, a multi-time IMSA series champion. Uh, so, I mean, there were a lot of people who probably wouldn't be tuning in, tuning in for this one. And they saw a great race. A great race up until the last 10 regulation laps. Okay, so I promised I wouldn't be bitchy about this to certain people. I, I would not, you know, grab on this race no matter how it ended up. Um, in private conversations, I said I would not grab on this race. Um, to give Coda another shot after last year, because I was I was kind of done with this. I was kind of done with too many road courses, too much of this, too much of that. Um, but I got told by people that maybe I'm not giving the Circuit of the Americas a fair shake. Now, with that, um, I really had not. To be fair, I really didn't. I really didn't. Um, I was excited for it. Um, obviously, the first race, I could not blame NASCAR for completely for that race because that was the um, Coda underwater <laughs> race uh, where we saw him racing in the rain, and there was a lot of bad racing in that race. Uh, then last year, last year was um, was Ross Chastain one there last year, I believe, um, but I wasn't into it. I decided to give this year a, a, a second shot, a, a real second shot. Um, I think a lot of it had to do with the, with the names in the field, like the Kimi Rackin for Trackhouse and their 91 car, Jensen Button, um, in the, um, in the Rick Ware 15 car, which realistically, if you want to think about it, that car, it, it's it's like a fifth um, Stuart Haas car. So, um, you, you had those names. You had Jordan Taylor, who was subbing for Chase Elliott, a former winner here. You know, there was a lot of interest, you know, worldwide, and it kind of brought me, I'm like, maybe I'm not giving this as a, um, a fair shake. So I, I sat down and watched it, and I was amazed by it. Amazed by it until the end of the race. And here's why: the end of the race, um, we we had a, a good race. There was a lot of hard racing. We did see some cautions. We did see, uh, you know, what would become a more of attrition. 
um, with a lot of the cars and a lot of the teams. And, um, but everything was kind of, you know, it was overshadowed by how great they were racing. I mean, we saw a lot of strategy, a lot of strategy that put a lot of cars that weren't initially up front, up front. We saw Kimi Rackinen in the top 10. We saw Jordan Taylor qualify in the top 10. Uh, we, we saw other drivers like Kevin Harvick, uh, Mark Truex Jr. Uh, guys who weren't right at the front raced their way to the front, you know, through strategy and hard racing. Um, but all hell would break loose, um, you know, late in a race. I believe it started with Brad Keselowski spinning, which Brad, you know, spun on the first lap, or was, or was spun, um, ended up taking out Jimmy Johnson, who, this was one of his five races that he was going to run uh, for uh, Legacy Motor Club, which is still really weird to say. I still want to say Petty GMS, uh, but Legacy Motor Club, and... Uh, he got taken out along with poor Ty Dillon. Ty Dillon can't catch a damn break this year. I really feel bad for him. He's he's the the Dillon brother that I like, but it, it makes it really really hard uh, to root for him. He just has such horrible luck. But anyway, um, we go to this last ten laps, and it, it just seemed like the drivers forgot how to drive. NASCAR forgot how to call a race, and it was just bad. It was just horrible. I, I, in to me, it kind of overshadowed everything that we saw go on to everything prior. All right, we had a caution. You know, drivers spinning um, after getting the green flag going into turn one. Now, turn one is that really sharp left-hander. Uh, not quite a hairpin, but just a really sharp, uh, I guess you could call it a hairpin. It was just a really sharp left-hander um, with not a lot of runoff before you got to the kitty litter. And um, driver's cars would just go from three, sometimes four wide, funnel down into this turn that was only maybe a car and a half, two cars wide, and it was, it was pretty sketchy. You knew that there was going to be some shenanigans there, um, which we certainly saw, uh, multiple cars, you know, multiple spins, multiple everything, you know, Ryan Priest, who had raced his way up there, he got involved in one of those accidents, he was taken out, another driver with horrible luck, and, um, we would see, uh, we would see others, you know, get caught up in this, right? Kislowski spinning again. Man, what had happened to Brad? But, I mean, it, it, it set up for a lot. Then there was a caution when they were just about to come to the white flag. The caution was thrown for uh, debris and whatnot on the track, and it was... It was piss poor. It was piss poor. I was so disappointed, and um, I, I, I really did not know what to say. Um, 
but the win uh, went to a um, to Tyler Reddick, who his his um, coach, his mentor, I guess you could kind of say, Kurt Busch was up in the booth along with uh, Gunther Steiner and Mike Joy and Clint Boyer. Um, Kurt was calling um, was calling the race and. And you could tell he was excited and whatnot for. Sorry. Uh, cobblestones. That was bottles. That was cobblestones. Um, but anyway, um, you could tell he was excited for that 45 car that he ran at this same race one year ago. Um, leading. But. That also that twinge because you could hear him, you know, getting excited for it. Not just because of that, but because that guy in second just happens to be his little brother, Kyle. Kyle Bush on his strategy trying to track down um, Tyler Reddick. But at the end of the day, uh, T Red in the number 45 Monster Toyota Camry picks up his first win of the season, um, being the first Toyota to actually advance into the playoffs. Wow. I, I never would have thought that. Um, so, I mean, that was that was certainly something, and uh, there was a lot of great racing. William Byron and Tyler Reddick for a good part of the race with a class in the field, but wow. So... I mean, it was a great race. Um, I just wish we could have done without the multiple green-white checker overtimes to, to settle this one. Like I said, they were so, so close. I mean, less than a straightaway away from the white flag, which pretty much would have ended the race had they thrown the caution after it. It would have been Tyler Reddick's. Um, but they threw it right before for something that either A, they should have thrown it way before the fact, or B, should have just waited until he got the white flag thrown in and given Tyler Reddick the wins instead of a, um, one of those green-white checkers feeling fabricated. I, I just was not feeling that. Um, so, yeah... But anyway, that was certainly the Americas. They're on to Richmond this coming weekend uh, on the three-quarter mile uh, track there in Virginia, which kicks off the first of three short tracks on NASCAR schedule. It's Richmond, then the dirt race at Bristol, then on to Martinsville, and all three of them will put on a good show. Hopefully the changes that they made to this uh, short track package in this next-gen car will actually be an improvement over what we saw last year. Um, so I'm, I'm really, really excited for that. Um, so yeah. Uh, then we move on to... I'm trying to remember what's after that. <laughs> What's after those three races? But I only got those three in my head. 
the joys of not having notes when you do uh, these shows when you're in a, in the mobile studio like I am. Um, so, moving on. Moving on. I, I want to talk about, uh, real quick, Kevin Harvick will be running, speaking of short tracks, Kevin Harvick will be running the Cars Race at North Wilkesboro here, not in the not too distant future. He'll be running the 62 Hunt Brothers Pizza Ford um, there. And uh, what's really cool is Kevin um, is doing another nod to his past in his final season. Um, he'll be running the 62, which is son Keelan currently runs in the Legend Series. Uh, and the car is not just a nod to Kevin's late model career, uh, carrying the same paint scheme, color design that he ran early in his career running through California and the Southwest. Uh, it'll also carry a design not not much different than what his late father-in-law John Paul Linville um, raced at in his late model and Bush series days. Uh, as John Paul was the uh, was a a fixture on the southeastern circuit and ran a lot uh, in the 80s and early 90s in the um, NASCAR's top series. So, great little nod, then obviously Keelan carrying that number and whatnot back to, um, back to the, oh, sorry, Keelan obviously, the, the nod with the number, I mean, this is, it, this, this is definitely a family affair, it, it's a great looking car, I'm glad that, um, Kevin will be doing this as he is now part owner of the Cars Tour Series, and um, yeah, he's not afraid to go run some late models. I, I predict in the next few years, he'll, even though he'll be retired from, from the Cup Series and full-time racing, we'll see Kevin hop in these Cars Tour races um, on the circuit. And, and probably run against Keelan, some of them, when Keelan becomes of age. Because I don't think he's that... I, it, it won't be long before we see Keelan in one of these cars. I mean, we saw the driver, Mini Tyrell, um, hop in um, the series, I think at, what, 14? Um, and uh, he... I, well, I, I, I had a personal opinion that I thought that was a little too young to be running a full-time um, racing tour series. Apparently he could, but he's been, he's made a name for himself in that series. So I, I think that could be the next logical step for Keelan, and I expect Kevin to kind of continue on and that be not only be the growth of the sport, but racing against his son. I think that may reinvigorate him and do a lot of good things. So that that's Kevin Harvick racing at North Wilkesboro, uh, and we got the announcement that Kenny Wallace will be joining the SRX series racing at Lucas Oil Speedway there. Um, 
and I'm really, really excited for this. Carmen the German, one of my longtime favorites, uh, probably one of the nicest drivers I'd ever met. Um, I've met many drivers, um, but it's not often that you actually have whole conversations with them, especially at signings. Um, Kenny is one of them. I've been really excited. Kenny, who is one of the true faces of the Bush series. Um, he never won a championship, but everybody knew who Kenny Wallace was. Everybody um, liked everybody. I, everything I've heard, people loved racing against Kenny Wallace. And Kenny, while he's, for the most part, retired from NASCAR, he still runs his dirt races um, in the Midwest, um, mostly in Missouri, where he is from. Uh, so seeing him in the SRX series with all the world-class talent, let's be honest, there's some world-class talent, Tony Kanaan, uh, Helio Castro Neves, all, all those guys, and Kenny Wallace running on a dirt race. I mean, that is extremely fun to watch. I'm, I don't have ESPN anymore. I got rid of that years ago. Um, but knowing that we will Knowing that the SRX series is on ESPN, I'm, I might actually get it back just for six weeks, then get rid of it again, uh, because I really don't care for ESPN. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm excited for, um, uh, for Herman the German to be running this race, and I'm excited for the SRX series. Um, they've had two great seasons, two amazing seasons, and... I find it a lot of fun, so I'm really looking forward to to this. Um, and finally, we've got the um, the NASCAR penalty report, which is actually why I waited so long to record this episode. Because, oh boy, do we have some uh, interesting things? We'll start off with the penalty at Coda that came down. Daniel Suarez was fined $50,000 for running into Alex Bowman's car on the final lap oh, on pit road after the race on the cool down lap. Now, this was due to an incident um, post-race. Well, on the final lap, I should say. Not quite post-race, but um, uh, where Suarez, who would put his car in a position to win, up in that top 10, um, got jostled out of the way and going around, um, eventually I think finishing somewhere in late teens, or early 20s, uh, he would, he would be, show his displeasure to Alex Bowman, who, Bowman, to be honest, after watching the replays and watching the race and all, this wasn't all on Bowman because, uh, it was Ross Chastain who pushed Bowman into Suarez. And Daniel had some strong words for his teammate afterwards as well. Um, but anytime you, you you hit a car post-race on pit road, I, I agree with the penalty. Um, Suarez did not lose any points. Um, there was no points penalty for this. Um, it was just a $50,000 fine. Uh, it, I I totally agree with this. There has to there is a line when you when it comes to pit road. 
I said it with the Josh Williams penalty. Anything where you can put other drivers, other crew in danger, I agree with the penalty 110%. 110%. There is no need for that. No excuse for it. No nothing. Um, you are putting other people in danger with your with your, uh, with your your race car. There's no need for it, whether it's at the late model level, all the way to the cup level. Uh, there's, there is no need. I mean... It would be different if they were going to throw fisticuffs after the race. I don't care. Uh, but this is a little ridiculous. Um, and I think a $50,000 fine, to be honest, is kind of... And while that does hurt, because I don't have $50,000 to pull right out of my wallet right now, um, I think that this is uh, certainly a, um, a situation that warrants it. Probably more if I was in charge. Uh, other, the other big news that had you not been under a rock. Um, a few weeks back, Hendrick Motorsports got dinged uh, for uh, um, all four of their cars and the 31 of Colleague Racing and Justin Haley coming to the track with. Um, the levers on their car, um, the levers which are the the little scoops you see in the hood to restrict downforce. They came to the track with those. Um, NASCAR fined them, each team, $100,000. So that's half a million dollars between all five cars. Um, suspended the crew chiefs for those five cars, four races each. And hit each team with 100 points and the loss of 10 championship points. Now, um, not only was this uh, team, this also hit on the drivers as well. Now, Nash, um, Hendrick Motorsports appealed their penalties because their reasoning for it is we brought it to the track. We brought it to NASCAR's attention before the cars ever took the track that this is a manufactured defect and that um, that they should not incur these penalties. Now, with this new car, you can't have any of that. You have um, you can't play around with these. So this is one of the things with this next gen car. You are not allowed to play with these. It's only manufacturer approved parts and manufacturer specified parts. Um, Hendrick Motorsports and the 31 did not come to the track with those. They came to the track with these um, non-approved um, levers. So NASCAR dinged them. Obviously their thought is these cars never touched the track. Why, why should we get dinged? Uh, the appeal board has heard this. Um, NASCAR didn't get their way, nor did um, Hendrick Motorsports. As the $100,000 fine for all four of the Hendrick cars uh, was held up, along with the four race suspensions for the crew chief, which the crew chiefs had already uh, started their unplanned vacation. Um, a few weeks ago, 
but the 100 driver points um, to Alex Bowman, Kyle Larson, and William Byron were all reinstated, along with the 10 championship points, which go towards the playoffs and the playoff seating. I NASCAR was disappointed in this because they thought that the points were a even bigger deterrent than the fines um, on keeping a level playing field. And Hendrick, while they were satisfied that their drivers got their points back, they were not satisfied that everything wasn't dropped. Um, I think this is kind of a wash, uh, although I am disappointed. Um, NASCAR's put these um, these rules in place that you cannot uh, touch these parts, cannot do anything with these parts. Um and that they all have to be from the manufacturer. If Hendrick Motorsports had known that these parts were not approved, that there was something wrong with them, why bring them to the track? Uh, it, these, I'm sure that they had more more levers there um, and everything else. Uh, but uh, good on the call because these cars actually did not touch the track with the unapproved parts in there. Had they then I can see them saying, hey, you know what, you got, you put these on your car, you went out onto the track, you are subject to all the full penalties. Um, I think that, while I think that the money is a deterrent, I think the points would have been a bigger deterrent uh, for this. We've seen it numerous times. We've seen uh, Stuart Haas get hit with this. We've seen... Um, RFK Racing get hit with this um, just within the advent of this new car. Um, Penske kind of got out of it uh, last year at Daytona, but that's because um, Penske and RFK proved that there was a wheel issue that NASCAR either A, did not think of, or B, did not, um, did not show until it was on the track um but i think that this was a issue which you know it could have gone either way because as i said they didn't touch the track um but you know if they bumped it down to like maybe a 50 point fine i would understand um and and i think you know hendrick motorsports would have been disabled disappointed not disabled uh that they would have been um disappointed that they did not get it completely taken away. But I think that some kind of points penalty needs to be in place for something like that, uh, no matter what the team is. You really want to discourage this because this new car is supposed to bring parity. And um, if you sh by showing that there's not going to be any accountability other than financial accountability, you're not really, um, you're doing a disservice to the whole point of the rule and the whole point of these penalties. So that is, that's just my thoughts on it. Um, I know had Hendrick lost, they could have appealed the appeal, um, which they have done in the past. They have gone above the appeals board to, um, to a singular person. I know there's a lot of fans out there which are calling uh, BS on uh, this appeal, saying that Hendrick Motorsports has kind of got their way yet again and uh, big money, but... You know, I don't know. I don't know if 
Rick Hendrick has more money than Roger Penske right now. And Penske hasn't always won all their appeals. Um, but with that said, you know, that's just the internet chatting. So who knows? But anyway, um, moving on real quick. Bubba Wallace made some comments after wrecking uh, in the race. Uh, he was involved with two incidents with Kyle Larson. And the second one would see Denny Hamlin hunting <laughs> Kyle Larson, uh, which surprisingly did not get a fine. Um, the irony is that Denny Hamlin is Bubba Wallace's team owner. And um, while that did not get a penalty, Bubba Wallace um, went into a thing of self-doubt after two bad races, kind of in a slump while his teammate was winning. Um, they, you know, saying something along the lines that maybe he should be looked at to be replaced. Now, I know that would cause a lot of joy to a, a lot of fans. I... A lot of ignorant fans, I will say. Um, I'm not 100% a Bubba fan, but I'm not 100% a Bubba hater. I'm kind of in the middle. Uh, I think if he just let his driving do the talking, um, you know, I, I, you know, a lot of people wouldn't have issues with him. Although some will, because some people are just dicks like that. Um, but with these comments, um, the Vice President of 2311 basically said, Bubba's not going anywhere. We're going to help him through this. We're going to get over this hump. Uh, basically, Bubba's getting into his own head. So, um, don't read into that that he will be out of the ride soon. I, I don't think Bubba's going anywhere. Um, so, hopefully, he'll be able to get things turned around. I think Richmond's a good place for that. And... Um, We'll see. We'll see what happens with Bubba. Maybe he'll get his head on straight for um, the Toyota Owners 200 or the Toyota Dealers 200. I forget what it's called now. Um, uh, not 200, 400. Wow, I'm way off. Uh, that he'll get his head on straight and um, be pretty damn competitive. Uh, anyway, um, real quick. Our trivia question asked, who was the Super Bowl winning quarterback that was in victory lane with Chad Little in 1995 at Daytona's Bush Series season opener? And that is none other than team co-owner and Super Bowl, uh, I forget what Super Bowl number it is now, went off the top of my head, but um, the 1991 uh, Super Bowl winning quarterback of the Washington Redskins, Mark Rippon, as Mark was a longtime co-owner of Greg Pollock's team uh, with Pollux and Chad Little. So there you go. Uh, anyway, uh, we'll be back next week to talk about Richmond and whatnot. So until then, I'm Matt Hardman, and I'll see you at the track. Bye.